Imagine there's no heaven It's easy if you try No hell below us Above us only sky And all the people living for today. Welcome. My name is Anne Wilson, and it is my pleasure to host the Emerge Australia Imagine podcast series in which we speak to people impacted and associated with MECFS and long COVID. We acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands on which we meet and we pay our respects to elders past, present and emerging and anyone listening today. John Lennon's iconic song, Imagine, is the theme of our podcast series. Can you imagine a world where there is no discrimination, no stigma, For this day and age, particularly no racism, no war, a world where the voices of those suffering invisibly in silence are heard, seen and addressed, a world where we have a cure for MECFS or at the very least a biobarker, a diagnostic test, let alone updated clinical guidelines. Imagine all the people. So today I'm delighted to welcome Nicholas Carlton to our podcast series. Nick was a senior advisor and creative director to Adam Bant, MP, and the Greens when he was forced to medically retire. He's been suffering from MECFS and fibromyalgia for about two and a half years now. As you will hear, Nick is an eloquent writer and speaker and came to our attention through his online voice. We're delighted that he's able to join us today to tell us more about his experiences and his insights. Welcome to our Imagine podcast series, Nick. Thanks, Anne. Thanks for having me. And um, I just wanted to say I'm a big fan of the podcast. Wow. (laughs) Okay. So to kick off, can you tell us a bit more about yourself and what your life was like pre-MECFS and fibromyalgia and that whole diagnosis, please? Yeah, uh, sure. It seems like another lifetime ago, um, unfortunately, but I was... uh, yeah, as you say, I was working in politics as a creative director for uh, one of the political parties working on elections um, before COVID, going, traveling very regularly, traveling to Canberra, traveling to different various states to support, uh, to support different candidates and um, different projects. It, it, it was a really busy period. Like we had the marriage equality campaign. We had various by-elections. Um, and at the same time, I was uh, also 
Um, originally, sorry, not quite sure. At the same time, I'm a filmmaker by, by training um, and I had a, uh, sorry, Anne. That's all right. Take your time. I'm also a filmmaker by training and I also had a film and TV directing career. So I directed on um, a couple of TV shows, uh, worked on as a second unit director on an, on an SBS show, as a director's attachment on a Foxtel show, uh, had a career directing advertising. So had had quite a um, active and like I would say, you know, it was my dream career. It was it was really exciting. I had big ambitions, big goals, and was really having um, a lot of fun, uh, a lot of fun doing it. And um, I was uh, probably about yeah ten ten years into ten years since I graduated from film school um, before I got sick and as you say, was forced to eventually forced to medically retire. So at what age did you actually, were you forced into retirement? Um, I was, I think I was 31 when I, when I got sick. Um, and yeah, I was, I wasn't, uh, I wasn't an athlete or anything, but I was, you know, I was, young young and relatively fit and um you know able to to you know did lots of overseas travel did a lot of hiking um a bit of swimming you know rode a bike all the things that yeah pe young people do and um and now and like fast forward to now and it's a struggle to even do the dishes in the house and doing the laundry is a major win it, um so it's quite the contrast and it's really i think um i mean i think i think mecfs is tragic to get at any age but i think it's particularly cruel when you get it when you're young and well, yeah it's 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 particularly hard to see all my friends and colleagues you know still living their lives um and and just knowing that uh, and and sort of reflecting on your own state and all the things that you struggle to do now yeah so and and i can hear that um it, it's really difficult also to talk about it i suspect um so just thinking about what you've just said, uh, grief and loss is something that, you know, people experience when they have had a some form of loss in their lives. This has basically been a major turnaround in your life where you've had an entire career that you've had to say goodbye to. Can, can you tell us a little bit about the impact and how you've dealt um, or not dealt with your own grief at what you've had to give up as a result of your MECFS? 
Yeah, I think I'm still coming to terms with it. Like, I think it's it's really difficult for me to accept, and I don't think I have quite accepted it yet, but it's really difficult for me to accept that the idea that I may never work again, I can't even really say it aloud. Like, it's it's it still feels... Um, like it's not quite true. I mean, and maybe, maybe it won't be true and I hope it won't be like, obviously I want to get better. I, I would like, you know, I want to get back to what I was doing. Um, I know that like the statistically maybe is, I'm not quite sure if that's the right word, but the likelihood at the moment with, with where the medical knowledge is at the moment, recovery like a full recovery is 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 unlikely unless there's a big advancement or a big breakthrough but at the moment like with what we know today people don't really fully recover um like if you took a i'm sure if you took a poll of all the people with mecfs and and, and tried to figure out how many had actually fully recovered i'm not i don't think it'd be very high so I think, but I am still trying to come to terms with that and I guess not get overwhelmed by that idea and just try to, um, like my philosophy is just to try to take every day, one day at a time, focus on the small wins. You know, if I can, if I can get out of the house and go for a walk, that's a big win. If I can... Yeah, like I said, if I can do the dishes, if I can put my laundry on, that's a big win. And um, try, yeah, I try not to get too anxious and too, um, I guess, down in the dumps on as like about the big picture. And you know, you never, you never know what's in the, <clears throat> you never know what the future holds. Um, and I'm really hoping that things do change for all, for everyone with NECFS and that, that this isn't this, I don't think this has to be a life sentence. Um, uh, and yeah, I don't, I don't know. I know for a lot of people it is, has been, I mean, there are a lot of people that have lived with this for 20, 30, 40 years. So I don't want to like, yeah, I don't want to gloss over those people as well, but sure. yeah, I'm, you know, for myself, I'm hoping, I'm hoping that it's not a life sentence and I just try to live in that hope. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So you, you talked about um, not, you know, getting too down in the dumps about it. What do you do? Um, to lift yourself out of dark times. What what strategies would you employ to um, to lift yourself out of times that must be very, very challenging to cope with, especially when you have a couple of really bad days? How do you cope? Yeah, I'm, I'm lucky that I have a supportive family and a supportive partner. Um, and also that I, um, have some financial support. Um, I was lucky enough to have, uh, income protection insurance 
So I think I'm sort of somewhat buffeted by with those things. Um, and I, and without those, if, if you were to take away those things, it would be much, much more difficult. And, um, you know, I like pro potentially looking at the other end of, of homelessness and like, you know, not, not being able to work and not having an income is a really scary and precarious place to be. Yeah. And, um, and I know like a lot of people are in that situation and I, and I, I cannot imagine how difficult that is. So luckily, like, luckily those, you know, luckily I'm not on that, on that edge and I have the support structure around me to, um, to try and, you know, like I have all the very best conditions to try and, and get better, um, and to focus on, on resting and recovery and pacing. Yeah, that's yeah. all. Yeah. Yeah. That's important. Yeah. Um, regarding your MECFS, uh, can you tell me what led to your diagnosis? Did you have an infection? Um, was there some? Was there a starting point to your MECFS uh, where you? you either had to go to the doctor um, because, you know, you were feeling unwell or um, did it just develop gradually? And, and at what stage were you diagnosed? Yeah, there, there was, there's a very clear, um, like there was a very clear start point for me. I, I got what I think like I would describe as just a stomach, a stomach bug and, like it wasn't like nothing, it wasn't anything that I hadn't had before. Um, it was, it was kind of bad. Like I was, you know, it was kind of severe, but it only lasted a few days and or maybe a week. And my body just simply didn't recover after that. Like it, it just, from that point onwards, I just had this overwhelming severe fatigue. Um, I had all like pain sort of moving around my body uh, different in, in different parts of the body uh, on different days. And I just couldn't, I could not get out of bed. Um, it was, so it was like, I, yeah, I, I got this, you know, I had a week of excuse the gory details of vomiting and then I just couldn't, I never got better. And I think, I think it was only a few months later that I got referred to a rheumatologist who eventually did give me the diagnosis. Um, so I got diagnosed fairly quick, which I know is, is also unusual. Um, but the diagnosis, like I, up, up till that point, like my experience with them, with doctors is that you go to a doctor when something's wrong and they, they tell you what's wrong and they, and they give you a solution. They, they, fix. Get, they fix you. Yeah. And it was the first time that I had gone to a doctor, the doctor sort of told me what was, what I, what was wrong, but also said there's, there's like, also there was nothing else that they could do. 
So, you know, I, I did, and I also, I should say that I did all the other, the, my GP sent me to do all these tests. So I had to rule out a lot of things. Like again, you know, it's a diagnosis of exclusion as much as anything. So I had to rule out uh, everything from diabetes to EDS, vascular EDS, HIV, like anything, you know, and I kept pushing my doctor just like, just, just test me for everything. Like, tell me, like, make sure that like rule as much stuff out. And then what we're left with is essentially a fibromyalgia in CFS diagnosis, which I guess is still, um, it, it's a little bit of a uh, mystery basket diagnosis of like when we're not, you know, the, all these symptoms seem to align with, with this concept and we're not quite sure what it is yet. Yeah, yeah. So um, your fibromyalgia, does that cause you a lot of pain? Can you tell us a little bit about, you know, so what a normal day would look like for you now compared to what it used to be? Yeah, I have I have pain that um, is in a different spot every day. Like it's often in my arms, but can often be in my legs as well, uh, lower back, and it moves around. So the fact that it moves around means that it's not structural. Like it means that if you take an X-ray of my arms or my legs, there's nothing broken. There's nothing. Um, nothing structurally that you can sort of see wrong. Yeah. Now, I'm not a, yeah, I'm not a medical person. So I'm not sure where, like what that leaves us with, but so it, it moves around it. Um, it's not really like if I exert myself, it seems to get worse, but it's not, there's not necessarily a clear link with anything. And yeah, you hurt yourself. Exactly. Yeah, it's not. It's not like you. Um, you know, it's not like when you lift some weights and then you're sore the next day. It's not necessarily as clear cut as that. No. no. Um, so a typical day for me is is just is a lot of rest, a lot of bed rest, a lot of couch rest. Um, I take a lot of medications to try and counter. Some of the pain, low, low dose naltrexone seems to help me a lot. Um, and then I'm trying a lot of different other meds that the doctors want me to try, anti-inflammatories. Um, and then I, I also have, um, since I got, when I had COVID only a year ago, my heart rate COVID seemed to trigger POTS in me. Like suddenly yep. after COVID, I had this elevated heart rate. Uh, I started to get very faint when I stood up. So I have to take a lot of medication for that as well. So taking propanolol, vasodrine, um, you know, trying to in up my sodium intake. Um, all of those things seem to help somewhat, but not completely. So, and that's also a very debilitating condition, um, like feeling really like you can sort of feel the blood loss in your head. Um, as soon as I stand up, like, I feel like I'm going to pass out. 
So I have to try and move around very slowly, try and stand up very slowly. Um, and yeah, I know there's a link somewhere with the fatigue, like poor circulation, not enough blood to the head, but uh, like there are dots out there. I hope someone can connect them all. I can sort of see them all connected, but um, yeah, there's not. Emerge Australia aims to ensure that anyone impacted by ME-CFS or long COVID has access to support, information and advocacy that empowers them with the knowledge and skills to make their lives more livable. We offer support to over half a million Australians who face ME-CFS and long COVID. Yeah, I mean, your, your story is unfortunately one that many of our listeners um, will absolutely relate to. And, um, you know, people are trying all sorts of things. It's interesting. You talk about low-dose naltrexone. There are a lot of our listeners who uh, get varying degrees of assistance with that. But, of course, the challenge is that there are no pharmacological cures for MECFS um, and fibromyalgia. And so, um, you know, people... Uh, try uh, to use a combination, which is exactly what you're doing, with varying degrees of success. Um, it's a challenge. It's a challenge. And, and talking about challenges, one of our greatest challenges as an organisation is bringing about changes in health policy that would ensure that we have more research into MECFS and uh, that we also get up to date clinical guidelines for MECFS. As you know, our guidelines are at least 20 years out of date. What do you believe um, needs to be done to bring about change in Canberra given your, your political background? Mm, good question. Um, I think what I've seen in my career is how powerful advocacy can be in in moving the discourse and getting the attention of decision makers and policy makers and it's really the, the loudest voice in the room gets heard. And so I think that's where the importance of, of an organization like Emerge uh, is, is that, you know, without, without Emerge, there is no organized um, movement really pushing the agenda forward and the essentially the people in Canberra are there working and representing us and unless there's a a groundswell of of um people coming together in civil society around a certain issue. And you can see that from, you know, everything, like I've talked, I mentioned marriage equality before, um, but you can see that in, um, you know, everything from the voice referendum to various environmental issues. None of these 
things happen in a vacuum. They're all the uh, the outcome of people coming together and demanding change and demanding progress and um, putting forward their views. So we need to, if we want, if we want more funding, if we want more medical attention, if we want better outcomes, um, you know, if we want better treatment under the NDIS, if we want better treatment under the disability pension, if we want any of those things, we have to keep talking about it and we have to keep advocating for the MECFS community, which is a community of sick people, uh, people with, with a disability, people with severe illness. So people that already are, at dis are disadvantaged in terms of what they're able to do. Like, I think it's with any other, with any other cause and campaign, you see people taking to the streets and coming together and rallying. And the cruel irony with MECFS is that <laughs> those things are very, very difficult to do because we're all really fatigued and, and really, really tired. Um, so you, you know, around the world, you can see how MECFS communities have, um, basically tweaked their version of, of rallies, you know, by, by not having people there. So it's, it's difficult to do, but I think we have to keep pushing and we have to keep the spotlight on people uh, on MECFS and, and I think the interconnection or the connection with long COVID, I think is useful and it, it gives us um, it gives us a language and a concept that people are already familiar with and that's already in the public domain. Um, to, so it's, it gives people out there something tangible to to relate to. Sure. Um, yeah, sorry. No, no, please keep going. Sorry. I no, was no. Just with you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I think, yeah, I... You know, obviously, yeah, I commend the work that Emerge does and and um, it's, yeah, it's absolutely vital to keeping the spotlight on. Thank you for that. Um, so just following on from, from the previous question, if you were Prime Minister for a day, what would you do to bring about change in this area? Good question. Um, I think that I would, um, I would try to shine a spotlight on people with MECFS. Um, I think if, if other people could see how difficult 
it is to live with this illness. It, 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 it might inspire change. I think it's a really, really difficult concept to understand. And I didn't really understand. I didn't, I, I absolutely didn't appreciate how, like I knew people with chronic fatigue and fibromyalgia before I got it. And I did not, I did not have, um, I didn't have like even a modicum of insight into how difficult it was for them until I got it myself. And it is a really difficult concept to wrap your head around. And honestly, I think that the strongest people in this world are, are the people with MECFS. Um, like it is such a difficult thing to live with. And if we knew, if people knew, if your neighbors knew the struggle, I think we would be able to motivate change we would motivate people to to give us the support because how could you not like if you if you knew how difficult it was for all of these thousands of sick people millions maybe you would you know you would help your neighbor and you would you know you would spend that money you would invest that time in the research so i would be yeah if i was the prime minister for the day i would be um bringing a whole bunch of people with MECFS into the prime minister's courtyard and giving them a platform to share their stories and, and insights, not to mention just hitting the, uh, the big red button on investment and support. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, the challenge that we do face is that we would love to take a whole lot of people, uh, to Canberra, um, and, um, and take them to the, health minister's office and uh, have them advocate uh, of course that's very difficult uh, because people with MECFS generally um, are so limited with um, what they can and can't do so uh, what you're saying sounds great um, uh, I just wish we could do it uh, and we may well uh, in future try to mount something like that. But um, your insights are really interesting. And the fact remains that you actually, um, it's so hard to put yourself in the shoes of someone else. Uh, you can hear what someone is saying, but to actually fully understand um, from another person's perspective what they are going through, uh, with a disease that is invisible um, is very, very difficult. So I'm sure that there'll be many listeners out there who will relate uh, to what you're saying. Um, we're coming to the end of our interview and uh, I'm wondering if you could share with us uh, any thoughts you might have on how we may bring hope to people with MECFS for the future? What are you hoping for the future? Good question. Um, yeah, I guess the thing that gives me hope is that, um, is that there's probably, if you were someone, if you were living, if you are someone with living with MECFS, there's, 
probably never been a, a better time, so to speak. You, you, you wouldn't want to be living in any other time but now, to be honest. You know, like people have had this illness for decades, maybe even longer, maybe even centuries, and they've been disbelieved. They've not been supported. They've, there's, there's been no medication. And, you know, even 10, 20 years ago, it was called the yuppie flu and, and hysteria and whatever. And, you know, even five years ago, even like if you think about pre COVID to now, how far the, the discussion and the discourse has come and the, and the language that's in the public domain around illnesses like this. Um, the fact that, you know, you can find GPs and doctors now that are aware of the illness and have some knowledge, you know, not every doctor, but it's possible to, you know, there are, they're out there. So there's really never been a better time, so to speak. I mean, it's never a good time to have MECFS, but if you're going to pick a time to live in 2023 is where, is where you want to be. Um, so I think, you know, and you think about the technology and the breakthroughs and all the things that the capacity that, that the human race has to, to intervene and to make changes and to improve people's health, uh, that, that gives me hope. Um, you know, I'm just thankful that I was, that I'm not, that I wasn't. I shouldn't, I shouldn't say that I'm not thankful that I'm not older. I'm, um, yeah, I'm, I'm thankful to be alive now here in, in this, in, you know, in the present right now with what we know now and with all the different support systems, um, and organizations, including Emerge, um, being here to, to keep pushing for better outcomes. Great. Um, so you just triggered something for me um, sort of finally. How important do you think, you know, having a positive attitude um, is to being able to cope on a day-to-day -day basis with what you experience? Um. I mean, yeah, for, for me personally, I, I think I try to stay positive and I generally am positive. And I think that's, for me, that's important because I, I wouldn't want to get into a cycle of feeling depressed about my illness. And I think, you know, I want to give my, myself and my body the best possible chance of recovering and being stressed and being feeling anxious is definitely not going to help that. So that's, that's sort of my philosophy and framework. But I guess I, my, the only, what I would say though is it's, it's not to say that feeling bleak 
and pessimistic is not valid because I think that's also, yeah, it's such a debilitating illness that people are, people react in different ways and people are going to have, there's a spectrum of, of, of responses and they're all valid and absolutely you know i think it's valid to grieve it's valid to feel sad it's valid to feel it's valid not to feel optimistic you know there's nothing worse than feeling feeling the way you do and then seeing all these happy people telling you to just look forward to the future like i you know i've been on the other side of that and that's also that's really really not helpful and irritating so I think like that's the framework that I use, but everyone's going to be different. Yeah, and and, and one of the most important things that uh, people tell us is the importance of having of feeling validated by those around them and feeling validated by their healthcare professionals and you know people believing. Um, you know what your experience is and um uh, so certainly um you know validating that you're entitled to feel and think and believe um whatever it is that you do um and and feeling heard and feeling seen and i guess um this podcast series is all about uh, bringing to light uh, your experiences, your voice, and um, letting others identify with your experiences and and maybe learn and giving others hope. So, uh, Nick Carlton, we want to thank you very much for your time and for your willingness to share your personal experiences with us your story and that of others who participate in our podcast series is making a difference. So I want to thank you very much for participating today. Thanks for having me on, man. So the Emerge Australia Imagine podcast series seeks to speak with people of influence and those whose voices, like Nick's, need to be heard. This is a platform where we can together explore the pressing issues faced by 250,000 people with MECFS and at least 400,000 more with long COVID. If the content of this or other Emerge Australia podcasts has triggered an emotional response for which you need assistance, contact Lifeline on 13114. Their crisis support and suicide prevention service is available. You may also go onto the Emerge Australia website where emergency services are listed. Please tune in again for our next interview and don't forget that for more information and to subscribe to the Emerge Australia newsletter, visit our website on www.emerge.org.au. Thank you, Nick, for participating today and bye for now. You may say that I'm a dreamer But I'm not the only one